What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. I'm joined today by Ben Solak, and we finally have one of the best weeks of the year. To me, at least, Ben, the best week of the year is next week, the divisional round of the playoffs. But this week, obviously, super wild card weekend with our first ever Monday night game is going to be a blast. And there's some interesting games. We're going to break down every single one of them. But Congrats to everybody who survived the first 18-week season. It's time for the second season, the real season, to begin. Ben, I know you're kind of on the mend. We brought you back off of IR. You got yo, hit yo. by the bug. How are you feeling? I'm feeling well, Warren. Thanks for asking. No, it was uh, not a welcome break, but honestly, with vacation plus then being put on IR, I'm uh, full energy, full go for the playoffs. I was grinding through film yesterday. Usually when you grind through film in the winter, you're like, God, please let the sport end. I was very happy to be grinding through film yesterday. Yeah, there's only going to be a few more weeks that we can do that for this season. And then it's recapping the season as we start making predictions for 2022. I spent months writing a book. I know you're going to be and may or may not be going down, but uh, you've got the the, the uh, senior bowl, you got the combine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh so a lot of things going on there. I may be going to the combine too. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, let's go ahead and just dive right in here. We've got the first game on the slate, and we're going to go obviously for you, 
Ladies and gentlemen at home, we're going to be breaking this down in rotation order. Rotation number, by the way, people, uh, some people are like, what's the rotation number? When I send out games to my clients to see like a three-digit number in front of the games, rotation order for everybody who just started betting recently and logs into their apps and sees just the games listed in time order, rotation order, there's a three-digit rotation number before every single game. That's what you do when you go out to Las Vegas and you want to bet on a game, especially college basketball, all these sports where there are thousands, well, not thousands, but hundreds of games lined. You can't just say the name of the team. Southeastern Middle Louisiana State against Northwestern <laughs> South Arkansas University. Exactly. Directional school battles. You have to tell the the person taking your bet what the rotation number is, so they can easily look it up. So at any rate, first game on the board, rotation number one forty one. You've got the Las Vegas Raiders at the Cincinnati Bengals. The total open at forty eight. It's been bet up to forty nine. The game opened at six and a half at most spots. It's down to five, five and a half. So a little bit of early money is coming on the over. A little bit of early money is coming on the Raiders as the road underdog. We'll do a quick weather check here. The weather for Cincinnati, Ohio on Saturday that I am seeing right now, and everybody's, trust me, everybody's apps are a little bit different, and every forecast in the app is definitely not going to be 100% what you're going to see on Saturday. This is a struggle that we have had all season long, but at any rate, Saturday right now, what I am seeing is temps of 28 degrees at 4 p.m. It's going to feel like 19 degrees. There is a very, very low chance of precipitation, uh, but if it did fall, it would be probably a wintry mix and or snow. 10 mile per hour winds with gusts up to 15 to 20. By 6 p.m., it's going to be up to upwards of 20 degrees. Uh, ben, first question that I have for this game. We're going to assume that Joe Burrow's knee is fine, but he did get knocked up. Some of the medical experts that play doctors in real life that opine on injuries from a distance in TV think that he is going to be fine for this game. One of my first questions to you is there's just so much variance with this game. You know, there's like there's high highs and low lows for both mm -hmm. of these teams. Um, what's one of the biggest factors for you in this game? Because when I'm looking at it, a big factor that I'm concerned about is the pass rush of this Raiders defense getting after the offensive line of the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm curious to hear your take on that, but before you address that, what's your biggest factor in this game? Yeah, absolutely. It, it is that that factors the whole kit and caboodle, right? That's that is it, it you don't want to reduce any matchup, especially a playoff matchup to like it's just this, but it's kind of just this. Uh the Bengals pass protection is not good. Joe Burrow is one of the highest sacked quarterbacks in the league. And that is not a function of his play style. It's not the function of his inescapability. Like Burrow is not a hold on to the ball forever quarterback. And he's not a pocket statue quarterback. That is not why he is a high sack percentage player. I know that you, we usually say sacks are a quarterback stat because sacks are as if not more descriptive of how a quarterback plays than they are of the quality of the offensive line. But I'm here to tell you in Cincinnati, it is descriptive of the quality of the offensive line. It's also how they protect. This is something we, I, I whined about a lot at the beginning of the season where they didn't have ways to get out of empty protection. They didn't have ways to get out of five-man protection. They just became easy to rush against. They've gotten a little bit better with that. Uh, you saw out of the bye week when they were super run heavy, they were really working on like wider surfaces, right? Like condensing the formation to get more bodies in on the edge and kind of try to help out a little bit. So I appreciate their experimentation. They've got a few more solutions, I would say, than they did to start the year. But still, 
Not a good pass protecting line, especially in the absence of Riley Reef, who was lost for the season uh, in the middle of December. The Bengals' pass protection was like passable, not good, below average, but okay by a lot of metrics before the Reef injury. Since the Reef injury, it's been really, really bad. We saw what Max Crosby did to Storm Norton, but Crosby, Quentin Jefferson, Solly Thomas on the inside. Yannick Ngakwe on the opposite side. The whole Raiders line can penetrate and rush. And Gus Bradley's defense is a very, uh, you know, I want to say like a polar defense, right? It's a very like all chips on red defense. It is, we are going to live with a four down rush. And if it wins, we win. If it loses, we lose, right? That is the long and the short of it for that defense. And so you're going up against a very susceptible offensive line a quarterback who's able to get brought down to the turf. And we know that sacks are drive killers. First down, second down, third down, it doesn't really matter. You get a sack, you are forcing a punt at a very high percentage on that series. You get a very high sack quarterback against a defense that lives and dies on generating pressures and generating sacks. So this becomes the whole knot of the matchup. I mean, all Cincinnati's offensive staff is doing is trying to figure out how to have enough time to run their passing game. Because if they can, they can beat the Raiders' corners. And all the Raiders are trying to figure out is how to get the passing game to work. Because if they can get it to work against this, uh, get the pass rush game, I should say, to work. Because if they can get it to work against this front, they don't got to worry about their corners. This is the whole, this is the fulcrum right here. The matchup uh, tilts on this one. So when we're talking about when the Raiders have the ball, the Raiders, I mean, the market indicates that the Raiders might be the side here, at least with the early money. But they're going to need to score because the Bengals, if they are able to get Joe Burrow, who's passed really well under pressure or when he's blitzed, he's been doing a good job so far this season of identifying that. His numbers against the blitz have been pretty strong. Um, if they're able to score, then you got the Raiders who need to match that. Now, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second. I mean, there's a very good chance here, though. We, saw, we thought the same thing was going to need to be the case in the last game that we just saw, which was the Sunday night game, where it was like, oh, the total's getting bet up. And... It looks like the Chargers might be the side here, so the Raiders are going to need to score. And what do the Raiders do but come out and lead 29 to 15, 29 to 14 in that game? The, the Chargers were the ones who needed to score late to come back in this game. So that may not necessarily be the case, but I want to specifically talk about the biggest weapon, the biggest factor for the Raiders' offense when they are passing the ball, and that's Darren Waller. Last week, Darren Waller, obviously you're going up against Derwin James and some better defense there with the Chargers against tight ends. Nine targets, only two catches. He was also returning after a long absence, dealing with a variety of things from, from COVID to an injury. He comes back and is that's the most targets of any team. Obviously, Derek Carr wanted to get him involved. They love Dar Darren Waller. They need this guy to step up for them, but only two catches. Was that more so a factor of the way the Chargers defense was playing them? Um and him just getting his legs underneath of him a little bit. And we should expect a be lot better performance in this game because you know this and I know this, but the Cincinnati Bengals absolutely suck covering tight ends. So yeah. I think that that's going to be a big matchup edge for the Raiders, assuming you're going to tell me that no big worries for us last week that he only caught two of nine targets. Yeah, no big worries. Uh, firstly, we've seen guys this season and like, also, last season, I feel like this was still a thing. Like, when you come off the COVID list, like, it sucks. Like, often, when, especially, like, when you, like, had symptoms. As a guy who's intimately familiar with the symptoms as of the last, like, five days, it's hard to go play football, baby. Like, it, that, that doesn't feel good. So, we have seen guys, right when they come off of the COVID list, come out and 
not be as effective right away. And it's because they're probably still like recuperating a little bit. It's a tough sickness. It hits you hard. That's number one. Number two is you come off injury as well. You can be at less than 100%. Raiders weren't sure Waller was going to be available for the rest of the season. They talked about putting him on IR and shelving him indefinitely. And then he played in a week 18 game. And that's because it was it was a playoff game, right? And so they kind of, I think, brought a guy who probably was less than uh, uh, 100% coming off the knee, coming off the back, and coming off COVID onto the field. That's number one. Number two is a guy named Derwin James. He's the tight, he's the tight end eraser. He's why it's why he's so good in the Chiefs in their division where you have Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller. This is what you want the guy to be. This, the, the, there are very few bodies on defense in the league who can match these move tight ends. Uh, Derwin James is one of them. He's been that since the moment he entered the league. We you can you can watch that second game the Chargers played against the Chiefs and see what Travis Kelsey was when Derwin was healthy in that game. And then the moment Derwin left the game, the Chiefs started scoring touchdowns to Travis Kelsey. It was not an accident. You know what I mean? Like that's who this guy is. As you say, the Bengals don't have that guy. They don't nearly have that guy. I uh, really, really struggle against tight ends. Now, the Raiders use Waller more like a receiver than a tight end, but still the idea applies. Uh, if Waller is healthier, if he's from 80 to 90% now, yeah, we can expect same number of targets, but a bigger game and a bigger performance. Okay, so the last time that these guys met, they did meet earlier in the season, and the Cincinnati, it was week 11, Cincinnati won that game 32 to 13, but I think that final score is going to, if people just look back at that, they're going to be surprised when they actually go back and either rewatch the game or actually pull up the game book and note that in the fourth quarter with just under five, just over five minutes left, this is a three-point game that the Bengals are leading in Las Vegas, 16 to 13. So this game was only three points with six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Got to ask you, Ben, I wish we had more time to break down every single one of these games, but we want to give them all equal amounts of respect here. We got to give a pick or an idea or a thought on this game. Have you bet anything right now on this one? Do you have a lean if you haven't bet? And any ideas for props if you're looking at any of those? Absolutely. Uh, took the Raiders when the line opened. Uh, six and a half was too rich. I know we're all still trading on Bengals win over Chiefs. That felt great. We loved that. That was sick. They got a lot of positive uh, uh, variants in that one. I'm not sure I, I fully believe in them there. And and like I said, that Raiders defensive line is is will never matter more in a game than they matter in this one. Uh, when the Bengals went against them in week, I want to say it was 11. That was one of the games right straight out of the bye. It was it was literally the game after the bye, and they had a neutral down pass rate of uh, 42. percent It's not great, Chief. Uh, this is when, like I said, they were trying to figure out the whole running game and how it was going to help them out. And then at the end of the season, they really exploded into the passing game. So it's very difficult to figure out exactly what they're going to look like run pass balance wise. I'm worried they come out and and go pretty run heavy. So if I'm anywhere in the total, I'm honestly on the under because I could see this first half going like I could see it be very quick. Uh, and surprising in terms of the length of drives. And also when I expect high sack numbers, I expect a lot of punts, right? Sacks create, they can create turnovers, but they often create punts. And punts means long, long, uh, uh, long field uh, position, right? Longer drives for the ensuing team and, and it shortens the game. And so if I'm anywhere, I'm under, but stronger, I like the Raiders plus six and a half. I like them at plus five and a half as well. Props wise, uh, nothing I think uh, big has popped out to me so far in this game. I know that like a lot of lines are early right now. If anything, I'm going to expect books to overrate uh, Chase, and I'm going to go after T. Higgins because if there's a good cover man for the Raiders, it's Casey Hayward. He's played really, really, really well this year. And if he draws Chase, 
then uh, Higgins is going to get the majority of targets. But I've done that a couple times this year, and it's it's hit or miss. It's very difficult to figure out who exactly the Bengals are going to target in any given game. Yeah, no no doubt about that. Um, maybe we expect some Waller targets here as well. We'll see what his prop numbers come out at. Well, let's move on to the nightcap on Saturday night. And it's like every single one of these games is a rematch from earlier this year, with the exception of the 49ers-Cowboys. Um, the other thing that's a commonality, and this is the first game that we're going to get to that has this element, Ben, we talked about it on the phone yesterday, is a mobile quarterback, a running quarterback versus a pocket statue. And this is the first game that we have that boat. We've got multiple games this weekend that features a, a quarterback that's not really going to run. He's going to sit in the pocket, survey the field versus a guy who can get out there and run the football. Got Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, currently four-point favorites in Orchard Park against the New England Patriots. Obviously, this is a rematch from before. This game opened at four and a half, has been bet down to four, so a little early money came in on the Patriots. This total opened at 44. It's still at 44, but that's not the story of the total. The total took sharp under money initially down from 44 to 43 and a half and 43. I even saw a couple 42 and a halves. That was the, the little uh, head fake type move, you could say. And then it got smashed to the over and it's now back at 44, some 44 and a half. I could just tell you on this one, Ben, I first want to discuss the weather. Um, a big part of why, and me and my group and the guys I talk to, we all are focused on weather. And so we run our numbers and then we look at the weather. And initially on Saturday, sorry, on Sunday night, it looked like the potential of snow. And on Monday morning, it looked like the potential of snow as well. Obviously cold, but snow. It was supposed to be like 11 to 15 degrees and snow. And when you have snow, you don't really know how much and how it's flying in the quarterback's faces, how much that changes the game plan here. And then you're always wondering about the wind and all that sort of thing. And so I could have understood why some people might want to go under there. Now we're seeing that there is no snow. The snow is cleared. With that clearing has come bitterly cold temperatures. And we'll update the forecast right now, real time, as I'm speaking. The current temperature for Saturday night is expected to be three degrees. It's going to feel like negative five degrees. No precipitation. Wind of only four miles per hour, though, and gusts of 11. Now, four mile per hour wind might be the lowest wind that we've seen in Buffalo this entire year. Every right. single game, it seems like, is played in Buffalo this year, go back months, has been dealing with weather, whether it's snow or rain or wind. Um, and so four miles per hour with just cold is totally different feel. I want to get your take on that. But I will say this. You're going to hear a lot of people on podcasts that come out after ours talking about weather. I looked back at the last 40 games, which date back to 2009. You don't really want to go before 2009. Why is that? Well, because the passing era of football started with the rules changes around 2010 during that season. So you really want to start looking at it from that point onward. But the last 40 games takes us back to 2009. Temperatures of ga in games 20 degrees or less and outdoors, there were 23 overs and 17 unders. That's 58% to the over. Temperatures sub 15 degrees. Now you're lowering the sample size. Again, you don't want to reduce the sample size too much because it creates problems. But 17 games in that sample, 
10 overs and seven unders. That's 59% to the over. So I think a lot of people are going to come out and say, you can't do anything when it's bitterly cold. All you're going to have to do is run the ball into a pile. Also, the other thing about these games, check the wind, check besides just the weather, check the wind, check the snow. You can't just say, oh, well, the temperature is this. Well, was it windy? Was it snowing? Like how much did that impact the game? Because here we've got a game that's just bitterly cold, but no wind whatsoever and no precipitation whatsoever. And the database is showing 59% of these games go to the over. So I think that there's going to be a big contingent of people on Twitter, just wait for it, on podcasts that are going to say it's super cold, unders when it's super cold like this. Data I'm looking at since 2009 does not agree with that whatsoever. But Ben, talk to me first about the weather here. Yeah. So two things have been said by Bill's players over the week, which is interesting. The first is Josh Allen has poor circulation in his feet. Never knew I'd be caring about this in my life, but I am. Uh, Josh <laughs> Allen said that the biggest thing for him in cold weather is keeping his feet warm and dry. He has poor circulation and they can go numb and he can't feel his toes. And so that is scary. The other thing, which I think has probably more impact for us is uh, Josh, uh, Stephon Diggs said of Josh Allen, uh, this was a, a quote. I dropped a touchdown the other week in Atlanta. He really zipped that ball. I was like, look, give me a little easy one. He's got a strong arm. He can't help it. The reason that I think the passing offenses struggle in the cold, and especially you've seen Josh Allen's quarterback rating really drop off in the cold weather, is because it really hurts receivers to catch cold footballs. The thing about cold weather is that impact sucks. Impact always sucks. Getting hit, hurts, whatever. But the colder the weather is, the more that impact sucks. And so when you have a team like the Patriots that's really physical, it can be tough on like a defensive line to go out there in the third quarter in the fourth quarter where you can feel every hit in your bones. It's bone chilling. It's bone rattling. And say, go out there and take some more hits. But on the other side of the ball, it can be really hard to catch these Josh Allen 15-yard zingers, right? I remember when he was at the Senior Bowl uh, receivers kept dropping his passes and it's because he would, the receivers like, we've never played with this guy before. We're not used to this hurts. <laughs> We're not used to this. This sucks. And that's kind of what jo uh, Stefan Diggs is alluding to here. When it's cold out, it really hurts to catch these hard passes. And so the, the, the cold here, I think takes like, I, I, I don't know. It, it takes the way the Bills want to play offense and it just really throws a wrench into it. Whereas a team like the Patriots who just have a, coach who's been historically good at adjusting to context, adjusting to circumstance, dealing with these kind of nasty factors, and has built a really physical, run-heavy team, is kind of very well suited to play in this cold weather. And, and this was the case in the first game as well. That was blistering winds and, and snow. We saw Allen's balls cut through that wind, and we said, keep throwing it, keep throwing it. Why not? But it's probably more about the temperature, more about the impact of the ball that makes throwing it and catching it difficult, and that's still going to apply in this game. The one thing you, everything you said is 100% correct. The one thing that I think is, is interesting here is you don't have a situation where you've got a Miami Dolphins team or an Arizona Cardinals team or a Los Angeles Rams team going to Buffalo to play in this. You mm -hmm. at least have two teams that are certainly familiar with weather like this, playing one another. And as it relates to Buffalo, you got a team, like you said, in that Atlanta game, they have played in this situation this year multiple times. Not quite this cold, of course, but 
like this. And so maybe there's some adjustments that they can make. Um, let's move beyond the weather now to some of the X's and O's of this game. What do you think here is one of the bigger X factors? Again, this is a rematch game, a double rematch game. We saw weather completely nullify the result of that first meeting. Then we see, we saw the last meeting where these two teams were able to put up some points, particularly the Buffalo Bills. The offense got on track a lot more. We saw a lot of aggression on fourth down from both of these squads which I think is essential and necessary for this game, but that's, again, not X's and O's. So talk to me a little bit about some of the factors here. What do you think the, let's say, the Bills would need to do here in order to have the same level of success that they had in their second meeting? Is there anything they can learn from that? And what do you think Belichick might do differently against them? Right, absolutely. I think that second meeting, right, you saw just a much more kind of standard, you know, run pass balance as expected, right? Mac Jones attempted 32 passes. Some of that was script, right? Uh, uh, the Patriots got down. They were down 17 to 7 at halftime, right? They kind of had to throw the ball to get back into the game. Uh, but then you go and you check that running box score and it worries you because the issue with the Bills in that first game was that they gave up the explosive run. They gave up first down runs on, on third and mediums, and the Patriots were able to salt the game away with only three pass attempts. I don't think that's going to happen, you know, three pass attempts in this one. But in that second matchup, Damian Harris, 18 carries for 103 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, and then Mac Jones had six scrambles for 33 yards. When Mac Jones is scrambling on you, you have a problem right now in terms of your ability to stop the run, stop those easy, quick gains. Uh, the Bills are, are continued to be a team that lives in sub, right? We talk about living in sub packages. This was a question mark because uh, Tredavious White got injured and it was okay. Are they just going to continue to be like all of the time, Dane Jackson, Levi Wallace, Teron Johnson, Michael Hyde, and Jordan Poyer, they're just going to live with five DBs? The answer is yes. Like they don't care that that they took one of the most elite corners in the league off the field and put in a, a second year, sixth round player. They continue to live with five defensive backs on the field. So the Patriots are going to go right back to what they did. They're going to go heavy personnel. They're going to try to run the ball in early downs. So this is very, very, very much so a first half dictates game situation to me, where if this stays close, I think it ends close. If this goes Bill's lead after the first half, I think it's Bill's run away with it because the Patriots right now in their passing game, Jacoby Myers is a good player. Kendrick Bourne is a good player. Mac Jones is a promising rookie. The passing game is not good enough. It is not a playoff passing game. We, we, we have seen this down the stretch. Had a nice November, but down the stretch, it just it, I don't think Mac has that, especially as the weather gets cold. And so, to me, early doors, I don't have a line that I love. I'm going to probably live bet this game. And if it's the Patriots defense is showing that they can hang and keep this thing close, I'm probably going to be looking at taking like unders and taking Patriots being able to cover the spread. If the Bills build out a lead, though, which is what I expect in the first half, if they get up by 10, up by two scores, and all of a sudden the Patriots get in that, that Colts situation where they kind of have to throw the ball to get back into it, I've taken Bills lines because I don't think they can throw against this Bills defense with the way that they choose to play. So this is very, very much so a situation where like first three, four drives are going to tell me what to expect from this game moving forward. Even without Tredavious White there, you still think that the Patriots aren't really going to be able to take advantage of that secondary. Yeah, I mean, so Tredavious White wasn't there for that that second matchup, right? And again, Mac, 14 for 32, 145, uh, uh, two interceptions and a sack. Why was that the case? Because the Bills play really, really, really good zone coverage. Mac doesn't have the strongest arm, but when he sees man, he'll, he'll attack it, he'll shoot it. And he's got good enough like placement that he can hit you know a, a contested catch Jacoby Myers in a matchup that maybe Jacoby Myers shouldn't be winning it's been very impressive you can play match zone against him and you try to force him to throw darts in between windows 
doesn't have the juice, especially as the weather's gotten colder, right? That's another thing about it is weather gets colder, grip starts to hurt, right? It's hard to hold on to that football. It's hard to get that that spin that's necessary. So that's number one. Number two is this Bills pass rush. We, we, I, I remember talking about this early in the year. They have such a deep bench that with every, every consecutive game they play, pass rush gets better. Not because the players are better, but because they're fresher than the guys they're playing, right? And that's what's so nice about having this too deep is that, you know, all of a sudden, F.A. Adoba, right, and, and, and A.J. Epinesa become better just because they only have 500, 600 snaps under their belt, whereas the guys they're facing have over 1,000 at this point. And so Bill's defense is, is, a, is a nice matchup for the Patriots if they can get Patriots out of a run script. And that's the offense's job. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Part of me wishes that the Eagles-Bucks game was juxtaposed right after the Patriots-Bills game so we could cut from Orchard Park and the sub-zero wind chill down to sunny Tampa Bay. But it's the next day at one o'clock Sunday morning. We've got the Eagles are going to be lining up to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to kick off the Sunday slate of a triple header. And This game right now, we saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers open at a lot of spots at seven and a half, and that immediately took money, and that's now up to eight and a half. It got as high as nine and a half, and I even saw a couple of tens out there at some spots before money started showing up on the Philadelphia Eagles and drove this line back down to eight and a half. Now, some books I'm seeing out in Vegas, Sharp Book is down to eight, which means they want your Tampa money at eight. Other books... I see at nine, which means they don't want your Tampa money. They want your Eagles money. So it's going to be interesting to see where books, where what books do with this. I would be surprised if this doesn't still hover right around this teaser window, though. Uh, It's going to be a very popular teaser, like everybody teasing the Bucks down to just win the game. The total right now is interesting because this one opened at around 49 at some spots, 49 and a half, has been bet down to the under, then took a little over money. Now it's got a massive wave of under money. And in large part, I think that this under money that's come in and showed up this morning, which is dropping this line down to 47 and a half at some spots, is because of the defensive health and the return to practice of a variety of defenders for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who have been missing some time, including they designated Levante David to return from IR. Doesn't necessarily mean, keep in mind guys, that he's going to actually play this week It just means that they're pulling him off so that he's practicing with the team and he could play if he's going to be ready. They still have to add him back to the active roster. Um, So I ask you this, Ben, another situation where we've got a mobile quarterback in Jalen Hurts against a pocket quarterback of Tom Brady. We got a massive favorite, the defending Super Bowl champion, 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What's one thing that would throw a wrench into the Bucs' ability to survive and advance this game into the next round that the Eagles could throw at them, whether it's offensively or defensively? What can the Eagles do here to try to pull off one of the bigger upsets of the week? Uh, Tom Brady on the sideline strats, right? When you can't beat a team with personnel, you can't beat a team with X's and O's, beat them with time. There's, there's just only 60 minutes in a game, and your your ability to take away possessions is not something you should rely on if you're a good team. But if you're the seventh seed who was once two and five, who just kind of beat up on some, some bad NFC opponents and snuck in here, it's it, it, it's not only is it like a good formula, it's a formula you can execute, right? This, this Eagles team can run the football and can't really do much else. So you have to be able to say, hey, listen, this is what we do well. Let's maximize this. Let's squeeze the juice out of this thing. If we're drawing blood from a stone, let's go. And we're going to run the ball with the intent of picking up first downs, not explosives. We're going to run the ball with the intent of taking out the entire play clock. I know something that that you love that I think makes a lot of sense in this game is going no huddle with the intent to keep Bucks defenders on the field, right? Because the Bucks are a team that when you get them in base, you can beat them in a certain way. When you get them in sub, you can beat them in a certain way. And so let's get, you know, they, if they give us Vita Vea and, 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 and uh, Devin White and Levante David and their whole run defense stop package, right? That first down, they're going to bring Jordan Whitehead into the box. And they're going to try to load us up. Let's do that. Let's try to get to the edge on them. Let's run RPOs. Let's run bubble screens. Let's get a, a four-yard run, quote unquote, from Devontae Smith, right? Let's run a little zone option. Let's get Jalen Hurts racing Jason Pierre-Paul to the corner. We think he can win that. Let's keep that unit on the field by going hurry up, but let's bleed this whole play clock and let's just make them spend 15 seconds on every play standing there as a defense, unable to sub and waiting for us to run a play while Tom Brady sits on the bench. Because that's that that's what's going to help us keep this thing close if we can then make those drives finish. And the Eagles, red zone wise, haven't been great, but if you can get all the way down there, get three, take a lot of clock, that's, that's going to work for you in this context. Because on the defensive side of the ball, I don't think you're going to stop Tom Brady. And I know that people are worried about like, oh no. Yeah. They're going to throw it to Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller. I mean, it's Tom Brady, man. Like it's, it's, it's Tom Brady. It, it, it is a zone defense. It is a cover two defense with like bad linebackers and safeties and like not, not a good zone defense, bad zone defense going up against Tom Brady. I, I could be playing receiver for Tom Brady in this game. He put up, <laughs> I put up Hunter Renfro numbers, man. Like it, it I would be, I would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> this I, I'm not worried about that because Tom takes defenses like this, especially when he doesn't get a lot of pressure, which I don't think the Eagles can do, uh, and he dices them up. But those drives are also probably going to take a while. Uh, those are going to be some nickel and dime drives. Those are going to be some methodical drives, some running back targets, right? Leonard Fournette practice today. He might be back in this game. Shorten this game uh, and, and try to extend. Try try to extend your drives. Try to make them play those ten plus play drives and keep this thing close by just limiting the number of possessions that Brady gets. And that you saw. When they played earlier in the year, it'll end at 28-22, but you look at the box score, you're like, all right, it was close. It was not. It was surgical, walk down the field, score touchdowns for the first half by the Bucs, took their foot off the gas halfway through the third quarter, and then the Eagles got back in it in, in garbage time. That Those Bucks drives, though, went slow. And so if you can go slow and score, and you can force them to go slow and score, this can stay one possession, and then you're hoping for some fourth down positive regression. And uh, if that's the best you got, that's okay. Go out there and execute. The other um, interesting thing about that game, A, it was up in Philadelphia. 
Tampa Bay's offense, this was a time where they were not playing nearly as well on the road. They were very upset about how they were performing on the road. Number two, that was a Thursday night game. So little time to make adjustments, little time to rest. Um, Difficult for an underdog. We know underdogs on short weeks, it's very tough because you don't have as much time to game plan up some things that they could do differently or bring out as surprises that would make the other team feel uncomfortable. Number three, this was a game that the Philadelphia Eagles were in a pass-first mode at this point in the season. They did not flip their switch until the next week. After this game, they started becoming more of a run-first team. This was the game that they were a pass-first team, and the announcers were saying, if you remember, Ben, it was like into the second half, maybe it was into the end of the third quarter, or even the fourth quarter, we still don't even have a running back run, not a single running back run. They made such a big deal about that. I mean, that's not going to be the Philadelphia Eagles this go-around. We're going to see more running back runs in this one early in the game. So it's totally different style and strategy that the Philadelphia Eagles used in that game. And last but not least, if people remember, this was also a game. Yes, it was 28 to 22. And yes, the Eagles come back and they score and go for two um, in that last drive with like six minutes left to get inside of the point spread. Tampa Bay had the ball and were kneeling on the football at the Eagles six yard line <laughs> yep. to end that game. And they I had have, I had Bucks, I want to say like minus six or something. I was yes. really upset. Doesn't matter. Anyway, moving on. I remember I remember you telling me about that on Twitter. You were discussing it. You you had the Bucks and you needed oh. them to just punch it in. A lot of people did. You weren't alone. And they were kneeling on the football, which means that they, they were right there to score another point and move it over 30 points on the road when they weren't really in sync as an offense on a short week. Now they're at home. You don't mind that there's not as many receivers there because it is Tom Brady. So tell me, what do you think about the side in total in this one? Eight and a half, 47 and a half to 48. Did you already bet anything or are you looking to take something? Yeah. So I I talked about shortening the game. I talked about making it one possession, making these long drives and all of that sounds very undery. I already took the over, and I think the over is going to hit. And it's because you asked me what the Eagles' game plan should be. I told you what it should be. I don't think they do it, and I think if they try it, I don't think they can, right? And and this Bucks run defense is susceptible. I think the Eagles will be run heavy, but I think when they are, they'll get theirs in explosives. I think they can rip off some big runs. Uh, Bucks run defense isn't what it was. This team isn't a pass funnel the way that it was. Uh, simply, the defense is not the 2020 version, even as it gets players back. Uh, I know that Jason Pierre-Paul practiced. I know that they're hoping to get Levante David back for this game. I understand that they're getting healthier, but even when they've had like 10 out of 11 of their guys, they haven't been the same. It's regression. Defense is very, very hard to keep sticky year to year. So we can't treat this defense like the 2021 or the 2020 version. And so I think the Eagles will get theirs. I think they'll have their runs, rip off their explosives, get some quick scores. I think they'll be able to put points on the board. And even, even if they're behind, the passing game is better. They understand what Jalen Hurts does better, and they do have a player in Dallas Goddard who I think very nicely matches up against the weaknesses you want to attack in this Bucks secondary, specifically the linebacking core. Also, I think that there's no way that Brady and the Bucks score less than 28 against this, this passing game. Uh, Leonard Fournette practiced this week, so uh, everybody and their mama knows I will be on the Leonard Fournette receiving overs, and accordingly, I think that Brady high completion percentage 
Maybe it's like low A dot. Maybe it's some longer drives. But I, I have faith in his ability to finish drives with seven instead of three. Uh, so I like the ability for this to get over 47. I like the team total over on the Bucks as well. Uh, this Eagles defense has beat up on a lot of paper Tigers over the course of the last eight weeks. And I do not think it's a good defense. And I think that Brady and the Bucks are going to expose that when we get to this game. Okay, and the four net overs. Any other props that you're going to be looking at here before we move to the next game? Uh, I don't think you got most aren't posted right now because nobody no. really knows who's going to be healthy for the Bucks. So again, I'm saying four net overs like blind, but I, these receiving props were opening at like four and a half receptions. He was hitting that on the second drive. So we're still, I feel confident in those. Uh, other than that, we don't really have uh, props up yet. So when we get there, uh, hit me up on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, next game, 4.30 afternoon. This game is going to be incredible, in my opinion, because we haven't seen this game before. We haven't seen these teams play. But what I do remember is as a kid watching these two teams meet the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers in the postseason, seemingly year after year, with these two franchises as powerhouses uh, back in the day. And that was a lot of fun. Brings back a lot of great memories. Uh, So Dallas is at home. The line right now opened at three. It's still at three. It's juiced a little bit now towards the Cowboys, a little bit more of three minus 20s. You have to spend a little bit more to get those threes. The total sit opened at 49 and a half at most spots and is now is up to 51 at most spots. There are a couple 50 and a half still up there, but we're seeing a little bit of over money and a touch of Cowboys money come in here. So I'll just ask you this. What is one of the bigger things that's going to occur in this game that you think is going to sway the tide in one direction or another. All right, ready, Warren? Here's, here's how you handicap this game. Jimmy Garoppolo over under 1.5 picks. Under? Niners. Over? <laughs> Cowboys. So you pick where how bad you think that gets, and that's <laughs> going to tell you. And the over money makes a lot of sense because, to me, when the Niners have the ball, I think they can move it on Dallas. I think that this is a very... Uh, uh, disruption, upfield, aggressive-oriented defensive line. And that can get very feast or famine against a super misdirection-heavy team, right? Like, yeah, you're going to have your three-and-out drives from the Niners where Michael Parsons, uh, Randy Gregory, they got in the backfield, three-yard loss, second and 13, Niners are screwed. You're also going to have them where they get upfield, and uh-oh, it's a little toss to Brandon Ayuk on a little reverse, and that's a 40-yard gain. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be very explosive-oriented when the when the Niners have that ball. So I think you could see quick scoring drives, and then I think you could see very quick flips of the field. I think you could see those turnovers, which give short fields to the Cowboys' offense. And all of a sudden, we just got points flying, right? That over money makes a lot of sense to me. And I, and I wish I'd gotten in on that early. Because once we start getting to 51, I start getting a little little squirrely. But early on, like that, that makes a lot of sense. So I get that, and I think that that's what it's going to come down to here. We have the most turnover heavy turnover-reliant defense in the Cowboys. 
against a quarterback that is known for just throwing some real knucklehead turnovers and, and, and a backfield that it, it involves a lot of ball movement, which is going to mean, you know, your potential for fumbles uh, in the, in the Niners backfield. So it's a very high turnover game. It's going to be a matter of execution for the 49ers, which is a difficult, difficult thing to predict and prognosticate when you're trying to handicap a game. So for me, that's, that's the biggest thing is, is, is trying to figure out where that turnover battle lands. And that's a hard thing to, to get a, a thumb of the pulse of, right? Because it can be very regression-y. It can be very, like, variancy in a single game. The one thing that I do like is that if you look at where Jimmy throws his picks, middle of the field, right? They're, you know, teams are going to play what, you know, we call, like, like one robber, one cross, right? Where they have two deep safeties, but one of them is dropping down to that middle hole to play that robber, right? To take away those in-breaking routes. When you look at where the, the Cowboys generally get their picks, outside, right? Because it's Trevon Diggs jumping routes, right? It's aggressive corner play in cover one, man coverage on the outside. So where the Cowboys tend to get their picks is not where Jimmy tends to throw it. It's not where the the Niners tend to throw the ball at all. So there's a case to be made here that Jimmy just kind of avoids the toxic zones by how he plays and by how Shanahan calls it. I don't know how much I believe that, but that's kind of, I think, if if you're trying to make a case for a a good Jimmy game and a a risk-averse Jimmy game, that's where I think you, you you start from is that that target distribution works more in the Niners' favor than it does in the Cowboys. Since week eight, the Dallas Cowboys have played 10 games that mattered. We're throwing out the Eagles game week 18. Obviously, Go Birds. Go Birds because they were resting everybody and putting everybody on the COVID list intelligently. Um, so we got 10 games there. The Dallas Cowboys, eight, eight of those 10 games have come against rushing attacks that rank 21st or worse. The only two times they faced a rushing attack that ranked in the teens or better, they lost those games. They lost to the Denver Broncos. They lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, they really have not been tested on the ground very much. Um, The strength of the Cowboys' defense, they're number one against the pass in the NFL. They're below average against rushing attacks. And they have played the second easiest schedule of opposing rushing attacks of any team in the NFL. So second easiest and rank below average against the run. I'm going to be very interested to see how San Francisco can come out and run the football here. I actually think that this, sneakily, Ben, I don't know what your opinion is. One of the worst matchups the Cowboys could have drawn here. Yes. Because you're going up against a team that ranks 26th in pass rate, which means that they don't pass the ball very much at all. And they're really good when they run the ball, a top five rushing attack going up against your weakness that really has not been tested and specifically has not been tested in weeks. The last time they played a team that ranked above 21 against the run was all the way back in week 11. They've played nothing but bad rushing attacks for months now. And now they're really going to get tested. The other thing that's interesting here, Ben, last uh, X's and O's take on this one that I'm going to ask of you is People need to dig in. You now can look at these things. Where does the tight end line up when it goes against you? Dallas has had a lot of success. I noticed, I was like, why did Darren Waller not do really well against the Dallas Cowboys? Uh, But why did Rob Gronkowski do really well in week one? I started studying where was Rob lining up. Rob lines up in line a lot. Waller splits out a lot. Yep. Versus slot tight ends. Dallas Minus 0.32 EPA, 6.1 yards per attempt, 38% success on 40 attempts. They are very good when they can cover a good tight end, a split out wide or in the slot. Versus in-line tight ends lined up at the end of the line of scrimmage, plus 0.38 EPA, 
8.5 yards per attempt, 61% success on 71 attempts. They're one of the worst teams in the NFL defending inline tight ends. Rob Gronkowski was out wide for one snap in week one, for one target rather in week one. You know what that was? An interception. He was in line for eight targets, 100% success, caught two touchdowns and 11.3 yards per attempt plus 1.01 EPA per attempt. Talk to me about that matchup there. George Kittle being able to line up in line. Why does that give Dallas so many problems? And what do you think he's going to do in this game? Yeah, so this is, I love when you ask me questions like this because it's you with data, like stumbling on a thing that like for a coach is like, yeah, like this is like one, like not like 101, right? But in the sense of like, this is this, this, we think about this all the time, right? It's like defense is most like the Y, right? The, the tight end, the, the Y in notation. That like sets the strength, like where he lines up, like defines how you structure yourself as a defense in, in you know, in like general terms. This uh, idea of a, a flex Y, a flex, you know, Y versus an inline Y, like a flex head end versus an inline guy is fundamentally the difference between like a number two and a number three receiver. Uh, we build coverages with the idea of like, what if they put speed at three, right? That's the third receiver from the sideline. What if they put the, the backside X, right? That, the, that backside receiver in a 1B3, what if that's the X, right? That's the best guy. What if it's their Y, right? We, we, we would call it like a three by one set is the X on the backside. There's a whole different terminology. One by three set for when the Y is on the backside. When that, that receiver is that backside guy, which is what the Raiders love to do with Waller, right? So when the, the Y moving like changes the family of defense that we play, like, we are in a different world. Like, when people go, like, why don't you double Jamar Chase? It's because, like, the X doesn't matter that much. Like, the outside number one receiver, like, it, it doesn't change defense the way, like, moving that inner guy does and, and putting him in different spots and moving him around. Because it tells you where they're going to try to run the football. It tells you what route distribution they're going to get in. Like, the Y is the secret. He's the key. He kind of he gives defenses a, a codex and kind of how they want to play things. So, that the Cowboys are much, much, much better in one defense where, like, the Y is split out as opposed to another defense where the Y is, is in the core, right? We call them like in the structure is, is extremely intuitive because number one, they're playing their Dan Quinn cover three. That Y is going to be able to climb, right? He's going to be able to get to that second level. And you're going to be able to throw him open over the linebackers. Number two, if you're playing straight man, you can't get a corner over him. Can't put a corner in the box. If you're going to run the football, that guy to the cows come home. So you got to play him with Keanu Neal. You got to play him with, with uh, uh, Jerron Curse. You got to play him with DeMonte KZ. You got to play him with Leighton Van Der Esch. Sucks, kinda. Not fun, right? And think about like that Michael Parsons uh, route, you know, Robert Gunkowski in that game, right? Week one, Parsons was turned around, whatever. This is what you can do with it when a Y's in the core, when he's in the structure. So, yes, those Kittle over routes, that ability to work that intermediate hole, middle of the field with the, the, the tight end in the structure is very, very, very big. I like Kittle in this game a lot. I like uh, uh, Debo in this game a lot as well because they run him in those routes and he's really good in those routes. I mean, I, I like Debo in every game for being honest, but it makes sense for him in in that route distribution, in that in that space, in that area. So absolutely, when you said the Cowboys are the got the worst matchup they could possibly draw, yes, one hundred percent, because the the Niners can go condensed, they can run at you in ten thousand different ways, they can make you keep linebackers on the field, and they have no interest in throwing at Trevon Diggs. They don't have a, an X receiver, they don't have a guy they try to throw one on one outside the numbers. It's not his, that's not their game. So this is very much so like. It's Niners plus four. I have Niners plus four, and I have Niners money line in the bag right now. I think that if there's an upset to see this week, Niners over Cowboys.
I love it. I love it. Okay, confident in that one. Anything on the total here as it's creeping up? I think you said you kind of agree with that move to the over. Is that correct? I do, yeah. Once yep. we get to 51, you know, 51 is a big number. Like I said, yep. I start to get a little bit squirrely. Uh, and so probably won't won't do anything with it. Uh, I, I like more so the ability of the Niners to win this game. Really encouraging to see them come from behind as well in the second half of that Rams game. Rams weren't off the gas yet, and the Niners, good defensive fight. Worth remembering, by the way, since uh, week eight, Niners uh, defense, really, really, really good. D'Amico Ryan's again, better and better and better. Their second EPA per play allowed on running downs. Cowboys cannot fall into the trap. Don't run it against too high. Stop throwing short. Let Prescott play. Because if Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy get back to being turtles, this can get out of hand like pretty quick. Okay, any props that you're waiting on for this one? Uh, I, I was liking the Kittle ones. Your question was a, a good question. It's gotten me closer to the Kittle ones, right? At this point, we don't have anything open. Like I said, kind of where you fall on Jimmy picks and Jimmy play is is is, is a big deal to me. If we're getting a, a Jimmy a completions prop line, which have tended to be around like 22, 23 over the last several weeks, I'm probably going to take the over on that. Just because I know it's it, 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 the run defense is, is something that we're worried about, and I think that the, the Niners can be run heavy. But in, if Jimmy's getting a lot of man, and they're not able to take away that intermediate hole, I mean, that's where he's just murdered teams, right? When he's had his good games, that's been it. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if we get like Jimmy where we usually get him, which is like 22 completions, and then like low 200s uh, passing yards. I'll probably lean overs on both of those. Okay. This game is going to take 30 seconds. All I want is an answer as to whether you've bet anything or are looking to bet anything. No time to break this down. We just saw it before. I want to spend most of my time, Sean McVay, Cliff Kingsbury, to close out the show. So Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. It's in Kansas City. Kansas City is favored right now by 12 and a half points. The total sits at 46 and a half. Not a whole lot of movement at all on that total. Not a lot of movement on the spread just above the uh, 10-point mark has been pushed a little bit higher now to 12 and a half. Any thoughts, side, total, or props that you're looking at for this game? Uh, only thing I have taken is Chiefs first half alts. Uh, like Chiefs minus nine and a half, Chiefs minus 13 and a half in the first half. Um, I, I, I could see how the Steelers are able to circle the wagons and not get blown out a second time. Yes, I also... Do not trust Ben Roethlisberger as far as I can throw him, and I cannot throw Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, <laughs> it's not a it's not a situation where I want to have really any exposure on the Steelers because I just don't see like offensively. I know they score points sometimes, but I just don't get how and why. Uh, and so for that reason, it's just very tough to have any skin on that. Um, Chiefs blowout feels like the most likely thing we get here. Okay, so we'll move on to the Monday Nighter, the first ever Monday Night Wild Card game. I'm assuming they're going to put these guys, whoever wins this one, on Sunday next week. So they're not at the massive rest disadvantage. That makes a lot of sense. NFL doesn't always do things that make sense, but I'm almost guaranteeing that that's what's going to happen here. You have the LA Rams hosting the Arizona Cardinals. Divisional matchup. We've seen another divisional matchup on Saturday night. Here's the Monday night divisional matchup. Seems met earlier this season, split that series, which typically happens a lot of times in divisional rounds. Uh, we've got the Rams laying four points at home and the total sits at 49 and a half, taking a little bit of under money. It opened at 50, 50 and a half at some spots, down a point, not a massive move, not a move through anything. There's a half point at most spots and not a lot of movement on the side either. This one has really been holding firm at Rams minus four. So let me first ask you, Ben, 
one of the bigger things that we saw, one of the bigger injuries for any of these teams, uh, we saw the Cardinals lose DeAndre Hopkins. And it seems like teams are defending Arizona a little bit differently without D-Hop out there. Is there anything Arizona can do to replicate any of the success that they saw in that first meeting against the Rams with D-Hop, obviously, in the lineup there? But they were much more efficient in that first meeting than they were in the second meeting. Do you think that they can do something here to get back on track? What do you think that they will do from an offensive perspective against this Rams defense? I do think that they greatly benefit from having Chase Edmonds back. I I love Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds is is good low player. Uh, he's very valuable in the passing game. He had 12 carries for I want to say like 120 yards against the Cardinal against the Rams in the, in the first one. I know he was absent for the second game. And James Conner is is the better like back in the sense of you know run through contact whatever yada 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 but Edmonds is is when you're able to put him back there and you're able to go four open you just get so much space in the running game right you know five blockers six guys in the box Kyler's gonna help control that because he's a threat to run and now you have Edmonds just dealing with a lot of room he can be patient he can wiggle he's got a lot of bounce to him and he ends up picking his way for these nice gains and and when the Cardinals offense works really well it's oh Cliff Kingsbury Air Raid DeAndre Hopkins AJ Green Christian Kirk wow it's really the running game that that stirs the drink for them. They are a creative running game. They get to their spots in a lot of different ways, and they use their backs in good ways. So I really like that they have the the dual headed backfield back. And this Rams team is runnable, run run onable. You can run on them uh, because Sebastian Joseph Day is out. They continue to play with light boxes. They do not have good linebacker play. The 49ers really, really did them up. But the 49ers can run with tight ends and fullbacks. The, the Cardinals don't really have that. I think the Cardinals run it, and I think they run it well. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the model also because that Kyler's been a little inconsistent and because they don't have DeAndre Hopkins and because they don't really like the matchups they get with Jalen Ramsey being able to travel around and they're having to rely on, on Chris, Christian Kirk downfield shots and Antoine Wesley jump balls. That's not doesn't feel great. Uh, this passing offense to me is very volatile. This running offense is a lot more reliable and I think the Rams can be beaten there. I really struggle to get a thumb on the pulse of this game, but if you, spoiler alert, told me the Cardinals won, I would assume 10-plus carries for Edmonds and Connor and a good performance from both that kept the Cardinals ahead of the sticks. So I know 37 was good. I know Kyler played well. But to me, what you rely on is the running game to beat the Rams in this one. Sean McVay, to my dismay, continues to run the football a lot on first down and doesn't really get a whole lot out of that. If I recall that last game that they just played, in his first 10 runs, Sony Michelle had around 11 yards gained. But they continue to go back to that and then try to make Matthew Stafford do some things on third down. Matthew Stafford, obviously, his play has not quite been there um, that a lot of people would be hoping that he would have as he runs into the postseason here. Does it look like from the play calling perspective that McVeigh has lost some confidence in what Stafford's able to do? Or do you think it's just, this is the way that Sean McVeigh calls the offense and he's not really going to change it very much. And he still loves Stafford just as he did when he went after him in the off season and they ate dinner at the restaurant and snubbed Jared Goff. Uh, okay, so we've talked about Bills being more run heavy than we wanted them to be in previous pods. We talked about the Bengals doing that now recently. Uh, the Packers have done it in a couple games as well. They've gone really run heavy. Uh, McVay now has this ability, has been trying to go more run heavy in early downs. It is a a to me a very clear message. Chiefs Chiefs have been doing it all year. Uh, the teams know they have to have balance. Teams understand. I, I think I think smart coaches understand fundamentally two things. 
They want to score a lot of points. They want to win games, pass football, be able to throw it, be able to throw it downfield. The team, the league understands that they are a pass first team. I would say writ large. There's some exceptions, whatever. They know that to be true. That's one. Two is, but it would still be really nice to be able to run the football when we need to. Right. And that's the thing is there's, there's always that second. There's always that balance. There's always that other side to that coin. And so, the Bengals were running it a lot, and then they started passing in the must-win games. I think that the Rams have had some shaky Matt Stafford performances, and when he's had these these bad interception games, when they've gotten in these bad spots with him, and they can't seem to get him right, and they can't seem to pass protect for him, like the Titans game, there's no doubt in my mind that I just a born and bred football coach, Sean McVay, on the sideline going, man, I wish I could just run it. I wish I could just run. I could pick, get us a first down. and I could get us to at least flip the field and get a little bit of momentum and be confident in that. And we know how much it helps offensive lines as well when they're playing poorly. When that that interior from the Rams, which is kind of susceptible and pass protection, is starting to get beat up, it'd be nice if we could just tell them to get off the ball and run. So I think that when you see these late season interests in the running game, it's playoff coaches understanding I might need this. And it'd be nice if I had some work on it, some film on it, and some reps on it, and I was able to access it. So it doesn't worry me. Uh, I, I think that we're going to see a pass-happy Rams game against the Cardinals. With J.J. Watt out, maybe it goes a little bit run-heavy because the Cardinals' run defense has been bad without him. But in general, I think we see passes on first down. I think we see that approach as per usual. It's just the, the the desire to have that arrow in your quiver that I think is 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 reasonable, and I empathize with it. And and listen, if you get it and you get it working, it's really to your benefit come playoff time. Yeah, I, I guess they're trying. Um, let me ask you this real quick: Cooper Cup, not much success in the in the first matchup, a lot more success in the second matchup here. Anything stand out to you as to what changed with that? And do you think Cooper Cup's going to have a lot of success in this third game of the year? Uh, I would argue what changed is uh, Cooper Cup had that bad game and then went uh, to the you know the 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 sideline and said never again right and kind <laughs> of they they reoriented what they did now it's it was it was a very high target game they just weren't able to lock in with him Cardinals man coverage was outside of its mind early in the season it's kind of come back down to earth it's kind of regressed a little bit I'd be very surprised if we get that again uh, that's I think worst Cooper Cup game of the season if memory serves uh, yeah. I, I don't I think I'll just play the big numbers and I'll say yeah. Cup's not going to have a game like week one for a myriad of reasons because he's just at this point the best receiver playing that we got in the playoffs. Okay, so at four, at 49 and a half, side total or props, what are you looking at on this game? Really, really tough game for me. Right now, I'm in stay away mode. To me, these are the two most volatile and least trustworthy teams. I could just get like bad Kyler or bad Cliff or I can get bad McVay and bad Stafford. Very, very, very hard game to figure out. Uh, especially because they played twice. So you know there's going to be some adjustments and some some rehashes that you haven't looked at. And so I'm, I struggle to find a side that I like. Generally, when you're there, you kind of a little bit like the, the underdog just because you're expecting chaos and you're getting value on him. Uh, so maybe Cardinals position because of that. But honestly, going through it, uh, and you know, a, one bad Stafford pick, one really dumb Kyler sack fumble, and all of a sudden this game's getting blown out in a way that I, I kind of didn't expect. It's a very high variance game. I don't want a piece of it right now. Favorite game of the week, real quick, before I let you go. What game are you most looking forward to watching just as a fan? Uh, go Birds, So obviously, for that reason. Um, but Niners-Cowboys is going to be a real fun one with big ramifications in terms of Dallas's coaching staff and the Niners quarterback situation. That's, uh, that's a 90s classic playoff matchup we get to see again in 2021. It's a lot of fun. Guys, I cannot believe we are already here. The 2021 season is over. Playoffs have arrived. So looking forward to breaking these games down with Ben the rest of the way. But this game, this weekend rather, is going to be a ton of fun. 
Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back Friday with Joe House to get his bets for every game this weekend. Thanks to Ben Solak for joining me, of course. Thanks to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbrecht for producing the show. We'll see you guys on Friday.